So just to give you a bit of background, some of you will be familiar with the story of Gideon. <clears throat> I'm just checking we're done. Yeah, we're done. So the, the, the people of God in the Old Testament are, are uh, they're, they're, they're like an ethnic group. It's a specific group of people, the Israelites, and they're given a specific piece of land to live in the land of Israel, and it was, meant, it was the land of promise, and it was meant to be a land full of milk and honey where they were going to prosper and where they were going to worship the Lord and his presence would be with them. That was their dream, that was their hope, and that was the promise of God to them. But, but because of their waywardness from walking with the Lord, it didn't work out quite as it was planned. And they kept getting invaded, so they pushed out a lot of the people that initially inhabited that land. And then those people would remember that they'd got kicked out and they would invade them back. Uh, and God's promise had been he would give them the land, but as they walked in disobedience from the Lord, then their protection disappeared and they kept getting invaded. And various kings, well, at this point there's no kings, they were led by judges and prophets, and they would arose and they'd give... Israel breakthrough and, and victory against their enemies and then someone they would sort of die and someone would rise up whose heart was not set on seeking the Lord and the whole thing would go bad and the enemies would invade and that's where we are right here in Judges chapter 6. The Midianites have swarmed into Israel, they're eating all their food, they're taking all their crops and so this man Gideon is in a wine press which is where you make wine, interestingly enough. And he's beating out wheat in a wine press. And the reason for that is so he can't be seen. So it's kind of a deep thing, like a container that he's inside of with a threshing sledge, bashing out the wheat so that he's not seen by the Midianites who would then come and steal the fruit of his work. So basically, the land of promise has been overrun by invaders who are living on the goodies of the land that's supposed to belong to the people of Israel. And here's a man, apparently hiding away, trying to get through life, provide for his family, thrashing away in this wine press with some wheat, and up, up shows an angel, like it does. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Let's keep going. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our fathers told us about when he said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Let's go on. Yeah. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Hmm. It's a, I've been reviewing these moments in Scripture where God shows up and calls somebody. And this, is, this isn't the only response, but this is quite a common response 
when God shows up? The basic response is, you got the wrong man or woman. You got the wrong person. Don't you know, I am the weakest, I am the smallest. All right, so when God shows up to, to Jeremiah, he says, no, it can't, you've got it wrong, I'm too young. When he shows up to Moses, who's 80, so he can't use the too young excuse, he says, no, I'm, I, I, it's, he basically says, go away, I don't want the job, uh, I can't speak well. I mean, this is, this is a classic response of many human hearts to the call of God is you got the wrong person. And I want to talk today about, about surrender. And I believe surrender is surrendering to, to God's higher opinion. And I believe some of the things in our life that look like sacrifice when we're living in a state and thinking like we're small and we're paupers actually become normal when we start to think and behave like the kings and queens that we really are. So when, you, when you're thinking you're small, some of the things God asks you to do seem crazy and sacrificial. When you're thinking you're large and he's with you, they just seem like normal life. So actually, the size of the sacrifice you're called to make to you is actually a measure of how great God sees you are. Isn't, it, isn't this amazing that the first thing, can, can we just go back, back up the verses, the next section? Uh, yeah, no, next one as well, thank you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This man is exhibiting no attributes of mighty warriorship. There's nothing about his situation that would make you or I peer over the edge of the wine press and say, you look like a mighty warrior to me, dude. It, it's, it's not there through the natural eyes, but God isn't looking at him through natural eyes. He's looking at him from a whole other perspective, which is heaven's perspective, which is his perspective. And he's looking at a guy, and he later, as we read, he says, go in the strength that you have. He's seen something in this man that the text isn't seeing, that you or I probably wouldn't see, but heaven is seeing. He knows, he knows it only takes one person to line up with their true identity for a nation to be changed. God's plan is to persuade one person to believe who he really is. The outcome is deliverance for a whole nation. How important is it that we line up with God's opinion of us? How significant a shift could change in your life, in your family, in your city, in our city, in our nation, in this world if 10 people lined up with God's opinion of them. And that we allowed God's arguments, that we surrendered to his arguments and laid down our own as to why he got the wrong person. Why it can't be like that for me. Why I don't measure up to what he's saying he, about me. Why, why I, I have... 
I have all the arguments in the world why this cannot be me. There comes a point where you just have to surrender and say, I believe you, God. I believe you have a superior perspective on my life than the one I have. So this guy has every reason to believe that his declarations about himself are true. His family is small. The land is overrun. They haven't seen any miracles. Nothing mighty is going on. Nothing mighty. There's nothing in his history or his circumstances to point to the fact that he is a mighty warrior. There's nothing that he can assemble from, there's no information he can gain from the people around him, the history behind him and the circumstances around him that would tell him the thing that God is telling him. Everything he can gather is telling him the opposite, is that God's abandoned us and I need to be in a wine press, not out there leading an army. So you can sit down and you say, God, say, God does this, he breaks in and he speaks completely out of out of line with our history. He speaks completely out of line with what our family looks like. Well, there's never been anybody do that in our family. Well, I'm not very good at speaking. Well, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Well, I, I, I've never been any good at, you know, I, I don't want to stand at the front. I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be seen. I, I, don't, I want to hide I, because, because I, I don't believe I'm capable I don't believe I'm able. I don't, I don't believe you've got the right person. You're seeing something I don't see and I've never seen and no one else has ever seen. Is it possible that the one who sees all things is seeing it right and we're seeing it wrong? Very good. Very good. I'm going to say it again. It's possible. In fact, I believe it is true that the one who sees all things, he sees every heart, he sees every mind, he sees every life, that it's possible that, and in fact it's definitely true that he sees better than you see you. He sees you better than you see you. Not only that, it's not only that he sees you, he also, he made you. You are the product of his divine imagination before the world was made. If anybody knows what you're made for, he does, because he made you. Now, life may have piled in on you. Things may have happened to you that would teach you the exact, exact opposite of what he said. But if God's doing anything in this, in this season around the planet, it's seeking to persuade hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people of his great opinion of them. And to do away with this idea that you're nothing and you can't do anything. And to be humble means that you have to have a small opinion of yourself and not believe you can do anything. That's, that's a lie from hell. Who, who in this story wants Gideon to keep believing that he should hide away? The Midianites. Who doesn't want there to be a deliverer to rise up in Israel? The Midianites. Who doesn't want there to be a great victorious army rise up in Israel? The Midianites. The enemy doesn't want you to believe you're awesome. Because as soon as you think you're awesome, you start taking the land back that God promised you to have. As soon as you start to think you are who God says you are, suddenly things start to shift around you and the promises that he made start to get taken back and you start to live in the good of the land rather than underneath the stuff that's coming at you. One person believing God's opinion of them can change the fortunes of an entire nation, an entire city, an entire group of people. 
You can save your office because you believe who you are. You can save your school, your college, your university. You can save your street as you line up with God's true opinion of you. There is a lot of ground to retake for the church. The promises of God are immense and they're true and they're sweet and they're powerful and they're good. Promises of breakthrough, promises of provision, promises of miracles, promises of healing. These are the norms that we're, we're seeking to break through into as a community. And, and right at the heart of this is us lining up with his opinion of us. It's kind of there's something cozy and something appealing about being hidden. Here I am in the wine press. The guy's focus was getting through life. He was thrashing out enough wheat to make bread to feed his family. That's all he can do with the mindset that he's in. He's hidden, he's not obvious, and he's getting through life. And he's trying to get himself and his family through life. He's trying to keep alive. Survival and provision for him are his priorities. And those are the only things he can see, and the only things he can see because that's the way he's thinking about himself. The size of the target that you or I are shooting at is completely related to what we believe about ourselves. If my target is survival, I have a too small a view of who I am. he's waking us up he's waking us up he's speaking to us words that don't make sense that doesn't make make them untrue he's stirring up hope he's stirring up dreams that doesn't that, that's no reason to put them back in a box. But there is this comfort of being hidden. There is this sense of protection of I'm not standing out. The danger when you stand out is someone can shoot at you. That's why he's in a wine press. If they can't see you, they can't shoot you. And no one, anybody like being shot at with arrows or guns? Or, it's not my favorite pastime. If I stay hidden, if I stay low, if I stay inconspicuous, if I don't stand out, if I don't speak out, if I don't, if I don't launch out, then I am protecting myself from the possibility of disappointment. I'm protecting myself from the possibility of criticism and arrows that fly of all descriptions. I think I am ceasing or preventing myself becoming a target. The truth is you're already a target because while you're hidden, Midian's won. He has frightened you into insignificance. I remember a long time ago, this, when I was beginning to lead worship, I, I don't do that anymore, and uh, just not with a guitar, yeah. I used to lead worship with a guitar. I had this big 12-string guitar, which was kind of in vogue back in the day, all right? 
It was it's super anointed 12-string, by the way. We need to bring it back. <laughs> and uh, the, my pastor, who was trying to encourage me to, to lead worship, he, he saw something on me that, that I didn't see. And he now was getting me not to lead just worship in our, in our church, but there was these bigger meetings, these celebrations, and he wanted me to lead worship. And I remember the first one he got me to, and we were like in a more... It was like there was a proper stage. It was a really high, you know, like a, a meter high stage. There was a lot of people, and I am, you know where the curtains are at the side? I've got my guitar, and I'm as close to the curtains as possible. <laughs> because I'd rather hide and have the option. You know, it's like if I, if I just get this thing going and it goes terribly wrong, I can kind of just slope off behind this curtain and maybe nobody will have noticed that it was me that was leading the worship time. So here I am and my, and my wonderful pastor comes up to me and he kind of taps me on the shoulder and, and, and gently leads me into the middle of the stage and basically says, you can't stay there, you're, lead, you're leading this. I'm no longer anonymous. Every bum note will be noticed. You know what you're going through. Every squeaky song, you know, when your throat dries up because you're nervous. And it's like, there's hundreds of people in this room. I suddenly cease to be anonymous. There's something comfortable about being anonymous, but desperately ineffective. God is trying to convince all of us of the strength that we have. Because what you're persuaded about yourself will define what responsibility you will take and what you'll step up to. There has been a, a... Sort of generation coming through, I've heard many times there's a reluctance for them to pick up responsibility. The answer must be that they don't think much of themselves. <coughs> Try that again. Because it can sound noble, but actually. What it's saying is, what I think about myself is that I am not able to carry that level of responsibility. I don't want the visibility. I don't want the the chances of failure. And and I don't want to look like an idiot. So I'll stay hidden. The enemy's already won. The world, the church, has lost some of your awesomeness already. Because keeping you quiet is exactly what the devil wants to do. God's given you a voice, the devil wants to shut it. God's given you a vision, the devil wants to put it out. God's given you, and an opi- he's trying to give you an opinion of you that causes you to raise up to be a change agent and a world changer where you are, and the devil's trying to tell you that that can't possibly happen for you, and that will be too hard, and you don't have the courage, and you don't have the resources, etc., etc. When you lead, just just personally, when you lead, you never feel like you have the resources. I've been doing this a long time. I'm waiting for that day to happen. But one thing you need to know is what God says to Gideon, I'm with you. And that is all you need to know. 
If you've got him, you've got everything you need. Well, there's never a day where you wake up and you're like, yeah, we've got all the money we need, got all the people we need, everything we need. Actually, God, we don't need you now because we have everything. No, this is just a glorious exercise of learning to lean into him every day for everything. It's actually a great exercise. So everybody, well, a large proportion of the people God calls in Scripture come up with the inadequacy argument. So, you know, this, this is kind of encouraging for most of us, is it not? The discouraging part is God is never persuaded by the inadequacy <laughs> argument. I didn't find one where God gave up. Actually, reading the call of Moses is really fascinating. Moses is one argumentative so-and-so with the Lord. I mean, there's more than a chapter of, God, don't you know I can't do this? God, I don't want to do this. God, I'm not able to do this. This is an 80-year-old guy, remember, so he's had plenty of time to figure out what's wrong with his life. But God just doesn't give up. In the end, it says God gets angry with him and just says, for good, this is my paraphrase again, for goodness sake, you're doing it. And I'm giving you, giving you Aaron for a bit of company. And off he marches and his, his staff turns to a serpent and he puts his hand in his, his cloak and it turns to uh, leprous and all these miracles start to happen around him. And you can see through his story, he grows in confidence and eventually you get to the point that we were looking at in the last two weeks where he's there standing before the Lord saying, show me your glory. He's there saying, I want to know your way. I want to know you, God. He's, he's transitioned from, get away from me. I don't want your high view of me stuff. I don't want all this calling into, that stands like real danger to me. I don't want it to go away to, I want you. I want to know you. I want to be closer to this God that called me. I want to be closer to this God that's done all these miracles in me and through me. That transition from your opinion of you to his opinion of you also transitions you from feeling a bit distanced from the Lord to actually wanting to know more of the Lord. Because that everybody's called to that leadership as a believer and that leadership causes you to lean into him and as you lean into him and find he's faithful that makes you just go, I just need more of this. You don't need more of you. The arm of the flesh will fail you. Your energies, your efforts, and the people around you, as nice as that is, ultimately the arm of flesh will fail you. He will never fail you. He will ask you to do more crazy things than any human, but he will never fail you. I'm doing good. You guys doing okay? I haven't really stopped for breath till now, so. Thanks. You know, it's, it's probably the most vulnerable thing you can do is lead somebody or lead something. Most people want to run away. The people that make a dif- difference don't run away, they respond to the call. Fully aware of their own lacks and their own weaknesses, but they respond to the call of the one who's more than able to make up for all of those things. Hmm. 
doing. As this guy, Gideon, starts to step into his true identity, the next thing God asks him to do is pull down the family Asherah pole, which is a place of worship to the god Baal. And this, this would be a family shrine, very well known. Now what's happening with Gideon, he's, he's starting to agree with the Lord, all right, who is the God of Israel. This is the true God, they're worshipping a foreign God and a false God. And the God says, right, you're beginning to discover who you are and line up with who I've made you and, what I've called you and who I've called you to be. Now, now here's this thing in your life that you're all worshipping around and I want you to take it down. Challenge number one. So he's so scared that he gathers some friends and he does it at night. But he does it. And he, and he pays the cost to remove a hindrance from him and his family's life. He takes the risk that they won't all gang up on him and kill him because he's demolished this altar to Baal. He's beginning to get the sense of, I am a change agent for this nation by being a change agent for his family. And he takes the risk to pull down something that was sucking on their devotion and actually disempowering them. God is going to ask you as you stand up to do things that look like a cost to you, to take out things that are maybe precious in your life and pull them down so that you can be free to worship him and him alone. <laughs> Great Great love and great passion leads to great sacrifice. And often the great lovers and the, the ones full of passion are not the ones thinking it is a great sacrifice. I think sometimes we've been a bit nervous in, in our family to talk about sacrifice and surrender because we don't want people to get it wrong or we don't want them to overdo it. I'm beginning to feel... That's a mistake. I have overdone it, but God's always been there. I have used up a lot of energy. I have been tired. I have been broke because I gave too much money, but God's always been there and sorted me out. I have been out of the house too much for my kids, but God's always showed up and sorted my kids out. I can't live a life of fear of I may just give too much. That's ridiculous. God is saying to Gideon, the next thing, go take this thing down. So he takes this thing down, he moves this blockage in his life and his family's life. The next thing, I mean, he ramps the whole challenge up like multiplied times. So Gideon, remember what I said, if you can persuade one man who he really is, you can change a nation. Here's the moment now. There's this great army of these Midianites, and he starts getting bolder, and this says the Spirit of the Lord comes on this man, he blows a trumpet, and what happens when you start to stand up in who you are is other people start to rally to you. And he starts to assemble an army, and he gets, he gets the, it's about 30,000 people. I mean, at this point, you're, you're the leader, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, 
You know, I started in a wine press. You know, you can hear the stories. You can hear. You know, I, you know, I started in a wine press in, 19, in 2002 and there was only me, the dog, the cat and my wife. And then God spoke to us and we blew the trumpet and the Holy Spirit moved. And now we have a church of 30,000 people. I know I'm an awesome leader. I mean, this could be a matter of weeks or months that this has happened and he's feeling super pumped at this point. And then God says, um, some of these guys are afraid. I, I, don't, I, I actually don't want to drag them into the conflict if they're afraid. So <clears throat> just give them permission to go home. Two-thirds of his army walks out the door. I'm an awesome leader. I'm a slightly less awesome leader. And then God says to him, still way too many people. (laughs) At this point, this is a whole exercise in surrendering to God's opinions. (sighs) This is a great... I actually tried to find the numbers. It doesn't say how many were there. It just says there's a great mass of people. This was a huge multitude, this massive army. He's gone from 30,000 to 10,000. And the Lord says to him, nah, too many, too many. Go, go get these 10,000 to take a drink and, and, and I'll tell you who to choose. And he says, the ones that lap like dogs... Those are the, the crazy looking ones are the ones I want. <laughs> and so through this whole process, here's, here's our mighty leader now. He's been persuaded. He's blown the trumpet. He's pulled down the, 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 the places of worship. He's paid the price. He's stood up. And then God strips his army down to 300 people. I don't know, I don't know how awesome I'd be feeling right now. 300 people, more than you can number in the, in the opposing camp. But you know what? One man can change a nation. One woman can change a nation. One woman can change a nation. One man can change a nation. Because they believe what God says about them, rather than their circumstances, their history, or their, and their own opinion. And so this man, this man Gideon, with 300 people, is now completely dependent on the Lord. So the Lord is leaning in with everything he has, because he knows if God doesn't come through, he and his 300 are breakfast for the Midianites. His life is on the line, literally. And the lives of the people around him, and probably the lives of many others, are at stake right now. Because he had the gumption to put it out there, and now it's all at risk. Because he's got 300 people against a mighty army. This is a leadership moment. And the Lord speaks to him, and gives him the strategy of a lifetime. Which is to equip everybody with a lamp. And a trumpet. 
And once again, hero Gideon submits himself and surrenders to the opinion of the Lord. And says, 300 guys, look, we've got this far. I mean, what have we got to lose? So they surround the camp of Midian, 300 of them with lamps and trumpets. And they, they, break, they break the lamps and blow the trumpets and cry out, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. They've got lamps and trumpets. This is a con trick from heaven on the Midianites. And confusion breaks out and they have a great victory over this great multitude because one man believed what God said about it. Because one man leaned in. Because one man just kept going. Even when it looked like, this is crazy, this is nuts. Because one man kept surrendering to God's opinion. Because one man kept believing that God's resources could outnumber any level of opposition to him. Let me say that again. One person can change a nation. Because God's resources are so huge that we can outnumber any number that appear to be against us, any level of opposition, any level of hurdle, any, any, any level of difficulty can be completely overwhelmed when God moves in on the stage. Isn't that awesome? And he can give you the craziest strategies, and they work because he's in them. You can really tell how persuaded I am or how persuaded you are about who he says you are with what, what, what you'll actually do, what target you'll go for. We've spent lots of time talking about who we are, but actually what, what I've noticed is the people for whom this message is dropping are the ones that will walk across the room and pray for a sick person in a cafe because they know who they are. Do you understand me? What's, what's the level of, you're capable of amazing stuff. You're some of the only people in this city that can bring heaven to earth. How much you and I believe that isn't by how much you agree with me when I'm preaching it, but what happens in our lives when we're out and about where heaven needs to be released. Am I convinced? My level of conviction is tested when I walk out the door and face a situation that needs more of heaven released into it. Will you cross the street? Will you speak up in the office? Will you pray for a neighbor? Will Will you be who God made you be rather than who your parents told you'd be or history told you be or your teachers told you you'd never be will you put it all out there will you give it all away will you stay up late get up early bung the kids in the car and stick the food in them and drive so that you're at the thing God wants you to be at will you constantly make an excuse that I have a family and I've got to put my family first that can be such an idol In this generation, children have become the idol for many, many families. Your family is on a mission from heaven. And that mission is not just to raise children, it's to change the world. I'm going to say that again. Your family is on a mission from heaven, and that mission, parents, is not just to raise good kids. If you just give your time to raising children, 
you're going to miss the purpose of God in your generation. He's called you, mom and dad, to change the world and take your kids on that mission with you. Take your kids with you on the mission. Find out what he's called you to do and do it with all your might because God is with you. I love that we do parenting classes. I love that we do marriage courses. I love that we do all of that. All of that. The point of that is that we have healthy marriages and healthy families so that we could go change the world, Amen. not just so that we can have healthy marriages and healthy families. Amen. That feels good to say that. That feels important. <laughs> See, God can take you way beyond your own capacity to influence. Whatever he's called you to do, whatever sphere of influence, God is going to ask you to step out in something that looks so stretching and so crazy on your time, your energy, that you're going to think, how can this ever come through? But God can defeat a multitude with 300. He can, he can come through for you, for your family. If you don't step out, you never find out. Don't live as a theory Christian. Well, yeah, or or a, one of those ones that always tells you stories about other people. As good as that is. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Don't, don't have the notes. Have the life. <clears throat> you know, don't, don't listen to the download. Take a risk. It is possible for God to turn the events of entire nations to your favor. Uh, When we were in Paris recently, a few trips ago, I was talking with with one of their leaders, and I think he's a life group leader there, and he was... They'd just begun to see some breakthrough. They'd just begun to see some healing in their, in their church, which was a massive thing for them. And, and you may think that, that Scotland is secular. Honestly, Paris and France, it's even more so. It, it, is, it is a determinedly secular state, France. Um, so I don't know if you watched the memorial they did for the victims of, their, uh, of the tragedy that happened that weekend that we were there, but it's not a church service. It's just a completely secular memorial. They just all stand there silent. No God involvement. And in that, that context, every person in every... I'm having this conversation with this leader. He's saying, in our context, every leader and every person in every place of influence is determinedly secular. How are we going to change our city? I said, you just had a miracle. It already started. Time to start believing that the God of miracles can change Paris. Doesn't matter how secular it is, they don't have any answer for what just happened in your church. You have a few more of those, you're seriously on a roll. I mean, a little while ago, uh, my wife Teresa was up for it. She was working for a, a bank and in telephone marketing and sales and. 
She was up on a disciplinary because she'd, she'd uh, helped an old guy on the phone who couldn't, do, couldn't properly pass his ID check. And she'd been merciful, and you're not supposed to be merciful. So she was up for a disciplinary, uh, which could have meant potentially losing her job, but certainly would have been uh, black marks on her record and, and mean retraining and all kinds of other... They have ways of punishing you in these environments. So this is, this is coming up. But she feels a clear conscience that she did the right thing in helping this guy out. And this disciplinary keeps getting put off. And, and then it come, the day is coming. So it's a week before. And then, and, and then we hit the weekend and she's going in for the Monday. The disciplinary is coming. She arrives on the Monday. And what's happened is over the weekend, the Financial Services Authority, so this huge political body, has changed the regulations for the whole of the banking industry, which means that this bank no longer does that product, which means you are no longer under disciplinary. This is a bank that employs tens of thousands of people, an industry that's worth billions and billions and billions of pounds. And God organized that to change that weekend so that my wife walked out scot-free with a clean record. I'm sure there are lots of other things going on as well. But from her point of view, this whole huge machine of government and policy and economics changed just for her. He can do that for you. You walk in who you are, God will move the earth around you. He's done it already. Yeah. Do you remember he made sun go down steps or up steps? I can't remember which way. Do you remember how God, God moved planets for one man? Just got to believe who he says you are, not what you think you are. Get out of the wine press. Stop hiding. Take a risk because he's with you. I like that message. Shall, shall we stand together and just just take a moment? Just take a moment with Holy Spirit. Take a moment on what does this mean for me, God? What what's getting out the wine press mean for me? What does it mean? What is, who are you saying I am, rather than what my history or even my brain tells me? Who, who do you think I am? What have you already told me? What am I not lining up with that you want me to line up with? Just, just ask him those kind of questions. Don't be afraid. He's got good answers. Who are you really? Heaven's answer is surprising. Why don't you just ask him that? Father, who, who am I really? What, what's your opinion to me? And then why don't you ask him, how am I getting out of my wine press? What's the step I'm going to take? I'm not going to hide behind the curtain. I'm going to stand in the middle of the stage, whatever that is for you. So, Father, thank you for these amazing people. Thank you that any one of these people is capable in you of changing a city. 
that you will move the world around for any one of us as we stand in your call on our life. You have infinite resources available to every one of us. Our measure of effectiveness is not how big is our bank account or how strong we feel. Father, will you recommission us? Because we want to get we want to get rid of all the Midianites off our promises. We want to get all the thieves and hordes and enemies out of our land. Because I believe God, you've given us this land, the literal land of Scotland, and it's time that that the thieves and the robbers and the this is in a spirit realm that they all get lost because we stand up in who we are. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you've put your church here to enforce, reinforce that reality. That this whole nation was made for your glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for such incredible callings, such incredible potential, such incredible, powerful people in this room. Thank you for what you're going to do with us in changing this city and this nation. Amen. So, uh, if you uh, are on our ministry team, i.e. if you're on our senior leadership team or the HSSL team or second year supernatural school, would you, can you come out? Because we're going to pray for people. And... Uh, <laughs> See all these good people, they, they, they don't know what they're letting themselves in for right now. So what, what we would love to do, wouldn't we, team, <laughs> is, is release words of destiny over anybody who needs it today. So obviously if you're sick, we'd love to pray with you. We, we've seen many, many healings and miracles, but... What I feel God wants us to do is actually prophesy his opinion of you over you, if you would like that today. Uh, if, you, if you don't want to do that, we've got a little bit of time before kids, but pretty soon you need to get your kids, and then there'll be tea, coffee, and cake, and hospitality at the back. Uh, but if you'd just like someone to pray with you this morning, then that's what we're here to do. So I know you guys can do that. Because you're already awesome. So, okay, I'm done. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your children.